Chapter Four of the Story of Ab. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. The Story of Ab by Stanley Waterloo. Chapter Four. Ab and Oak. Such were the father and mother of Ab, and such was the boy himself. His surroundings have not been indicated with all the definiteness desirable because of the lack of certain data, but, in a general way, the degree of his birth, the manner of his rearing, and the natural aspects of his estate have been described. That the young man had a promising future could not admit of doubt. He was the first-born of an important family of a great race, and his inheritance had no boundaries. Just where the possessions of the Ab family began or where they terminated, no bird nor beast nor human being could tell. The estates of the family extended from the Mediterranean to the Arctic Ocean, and there were no dividing lines. Of course, something depended upon the existence or non-existence of a stronger K family somewhere else, but that mattered not. And the babe grew into a sturdy youth, just as grow the boys of today, and had his friendships and adventures. He did not attend the public schools, the school system was what might reasonably be termed inefficient in his time, nor did he attend a private school, for the private schools were weak as well, but he did attend the great school of nature from the moment he opened his eyes in the morning until he closed them at night. Of his schoolboy days and his friendships and his various affairs, this is the immediate story. The father and mother of Ab, as has, it is hoped, been made apparent, were strong people, intelligent up to the grade of the time and worthy of regard in many ways. The two could fairly hold their own, not only against the wild beasts, but against any other cave pair, should the emergency arise. They had names, of course. The name of Ab's father was Wanier, the sequence of an incident occurring when he was very young, an accidental and too intimate acquaintance with a species of wildcat which infested the region, and from which the babe had been rescued none too soon. The name of Ab's mother was Redspot, and she had been so called because of a not unsightly but conspicuous birthmark appearing on her left shoulder. As to ancestry, Ab's father could distinctly remember his own grandfather as the old gentleman had appeared just previous to his consumption by a monstrous bear, and Redspot had some vague remembrance of her own grandmother. As for Ab's own name, it came from no personal mark or peculiarity or as the result of any particular incident of his babyhood. It was merely a convenient adaptation by his parents of a childish expression of his own, a labial attempt to say something. His mother had mimicked his babyish prattlings, the father had laughed over the mimicry, and almost unconsciously they referred to their baby afterwards as Ab, until it grew into a name which should be his for life. There was no formal early naming of a child in those days, the name eventually made itself, and that was all there was to it. There was, for instance, a child living not many miles away, destined to be a future playmate and ally of Ab, who, though of nearly the same age, had not yet been named at all. His title, when he finally attained it, was merely Oak. This was not because he was straight as an oak, or because he had an acorn birthmark, but because adjoining the cave where he was born stood a great oak with spreading limbs, from one of which was dangled a rude cradle into which the babe was tied, and where he would be safe from all attacks during the absence of his parents on such occasions as they did not wish the burden of carrying him about. Rockaby baby upon the treetop was often a reality in the time of the cavemen. Ab was fortunate in being born at a reasonably comfortable stage of the world's history. He had a decent prospect as to clothing and shelter, and there was abundance of food for those brave enough or ingenious enough to win it. The climate was not enervating. There were cold times for the people of the epoch, and in their seasons harsh and chilling winds swept over bare and chilling glaciers, though a semi-tropical landscape was all about. 
So suddenly had come the change from frigid cold to moderate warmth that the vast fields of ice once moving southward were not thawed to their utmost depths, even when rank vegetation and a teeming life had sprung up in the now European area, and so it came that, in some places, cold white monuments and glittering plateaus still showed themselves amid the forest and fed the tumbling streams which made the rivers rushing to the ocean. There were days of bitter cold in winter and sultry heat in summer." It may fairly be borne in mind of this child Ab that he was somewhat different from the child of today, and nearer the quadruped in his manner of swift development. The puppy, though delinquent in the matter of opening its eyes, waddles clumsily upon its legs very early in its career. Ab, of course, had his eyes open from the beginning, and if the babe of today were to stand upright as soon as Ab did, his mother would be the proudest creature going, and his father, at the club, would be acting intolerable. It must be admitted, though, that neither One Ear nor Red Spot manifested an extraordinary degree of enthusiasm over the precociousness of their firstborn. He was not, for the time, remarkable. And parents of the day were less prone than now to spoiling children. Ab's layette had been of beech leaves, his bed had been of beech leaves, and a beech twig, supple and stinging, had already been applied to him when he misbehaved himself. As he grew older, his acquaintance with it would be more familiar. Strict disciplinarians in their way, though affectionate enough after their own fashion, were the parents of the time. The existence of this good family of the day continued without dire misadventure. Ab, at nine years of age, was a fine boy. There could be no question about that. He was as strong as a young gibbon, and, it must be admitted, in certain characteristics would have conveyed to the learned observer of today a suggestion of that same animal. His eyes were bright and keen, and his mouth and nose were worth looking at. His nose was broad, with nostrils aggressively prominent, and as for his mouth, it was what would be called today excessively generous in its proportions for a boy of his size. But it did not lack expression. His lips could quiver at times, or become firmly set, and there was very much of what might, even then, be called manliness in the general bearing of the sturdy little cave child. He had never cried much when a babe. Cave children were not much addicted to crying, save when very hungry. And he had grown to his present stature, which was not very great, with a healthfulness and general manner of buoyancy all the time. He was as rugged a child of his age as could be found between the shore that lay long leagues westward of what is now the western point of Ireland, and anywhere into middle Europe. He had begun to have feelings and hopes and ambitions, too. He had found what his surroundings meant. He had at least done one thing well. He had made well-received advances toward a friend. And a friend is a great thing for a boy, when he is another boy of about the same age. This friendship was not quite commonplace. Ab, who could climb like a young monkey, laid most casually the foundation for this companionship which was to affect his future life. He had scrambled one day up a tree standing near the cave, and climbing out along a limb near its top, had found a comfortable resting place, and there upon the swaying bough was teetering comfortably, when something in another tree, further up the river, caught his sharp eye. It was a dark mass, it might have been anything caught in a treetop, but the odd part of it was that it was teetering just as he was. Ab watched the object for a long time curiously, and finally decided that it must be another boy, or perhaps a girl, who was swaying in the distant tree. There came to him a vigorous thought. He resolved to become better acquainted. He resolved dimly, for this was the first time that any idea of further affiliation with anyone had come into his youthful mind. Of course, it must not be understood that he had been in absolute retirement throughout his young but not uneventful life. Other cavemen and women, sometimes accompanied by their children, had visited the cave of One Ear and Red Spot, and Ab had become somewhat acquainted with other human beings, and with what were then the usages of the best hungry society. He had never, though, become really familiar with anyone save his father and mother, and the children which his mother had borne after him, a boy and a girl. 
This particular afternoon a sudden boyish yearning came upon him. He wanted to know who the youth might be who was swinging in the distant tree. He was a resolute young cub, and to determine was to act. It was rare, particularly in the wooded districts of the country of the cavemen, for a boy of nine to go a mile from home alone. There was danger lurking in every rod and rood, and naturally such a boy would not be versed in all woodcraft, nor have the necessary strength of arm for a long arboreal journey, swinging himself along beneath the intermingling branches of close-standing trees. So this departure was, for Ab, a venture something out of the common, but he was strong for his age and traversed rapidly a considerable distance through the treetops in the direction of what he saw. Once or twice, though, there came exigencies of leaping and grasping aloft to which he felt himself unequal, and then, plucky boy as he was, he slid down the bowl of the tree, and looking about cautiously, made a dash across some little glade and climbed again. He had traversed little more than half the distance toward the object he sought when his sharp ears caught the sound of rustling leaves ahead of him. He slipped behind the trunk of the tree into whose top he was clambering, and then reaching out his head, peered forward warily. As he thus ensconced himself, the sound he had heard ceased suddenly. It was odd. The boy was perplexed and somewhat anxious. He could but peer and peer and remain absolutely quiet. At last his searching watchfulness was rewarded. He saw a brown protuberance on the side of a great tree, above where the branches began, not two score yards distant from him, and that brown protuberance moved slightly. It was evident that the protuberance was watching him as he was watching it. He realized what it meant. There was another boy there. He was not particularly afraid of another boy, and at once came out of hiding. The other boy came calmly into view as well. They sat there looking at each other, each at ease upon a great branch, each with an arm sustaining himself, each with his little brown legs dangling carelessly, and each gazing upon the other with bright eyes evincing alike watchfulness and curiosity and some suspicion. So they sat, perched easily, these excellent young, monkeyish boys of the time, each waiting for the other to begin the conversation, just as two boys wait when they thus meet today. Their talk would not perhaps be intelligible to any professor of languages in all the present world, but it was a language, however limited its vocabulary, which sufficed for the needs of the men and women and children of the cave time. It was Ab who first broke the silence. "'Who are you?' he said. "'I am Oak,' responded the other boy. "'Who are you?' "'Me? Oh, I am Ab.' "'Where do you come from?' "'From the cave by the beaches. "'And where do you come from?' "'I come from the cave where the river turns, "'and I am not afraid of you.' "'I am not afraid of you either,' said Ab. "'Let us climb down and get upon that big rock "'and throw stones at things in the water,' said Oak. "'All right,' said Ab. "'And the two slid, one after the other, "'down the great tree trunks "'and ran rapidly to the base of a huge rock "'overtopping the river, "'and with sides almost perpendicular, "'but with crevices and projections "'which enabled the expert youngsters "'to ascend it with ease.' There was a little plateau upon its top a few yards in area, and once established there, the boys were safe from prowling beasts, and this was the manner of the first meeting of two who were destined to grow to manhood together, to be good companions and have full young lives, howbeit somewhat exciting at times, and to affect each other for joy and sorrow, and good and bad, and all that makes the quality of being. End of chapter 4